Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from Jude 20 to 23. Jude 20 to 23, that would be located on page 1087 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Jude 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves upon your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It's good to see you. It encourages us that you're here. and We want to be an encouragement to you. Uh, It's good to have Tim Martin aboard on staff. We welcome Tim. We're so thankful for him and Tracy and Presley. And we're thankful for the great teacher that he's been for a lot of years already here in the life of this congregation. And we're thankful... Uh, for the faithful student of God's Word that he is. And we look forward to seeing uh, the many ways that God will bless him and bless us as we work and serve together, especially in the area of the educational department. Definitely, could there be anything more important than the study of God's Word so that we can learn it to live it out in our lives? We're thinking about this coming weekend. Saturday is a work day to kind of clean house and get ready for all the guests. And so if you're available to help on Saturday morning in any way, be sure and look out at the Welcome Center, the Information Center. Uh, There's sign-up sheets there. It's a come and go. You don't have to commit to all morning long, but there will be people working all morning. And if you have an hour, if you have two hours, you have three hours, your help would be greatly appreciated. And then the next day we'll have our family day and we want to encourage you to be inviting family members and others that you want to reach out and encourage. We'll study about that, reaching out and encouraging individuals in just a few minutes. Also, we're excited about this weekend because we get to eat a meal together. Uh, We'll all be under a big tent and it's always a great time of fellowship. All you're asked to do is is provide your favorite dessert. Please bring it already sliced and ready to serve. And then be sure and look forward to the Sunday evening worship, still at 6 o'clock, but underneath the tent. It's always a wonderful period of worship. Also, we're excited and want to inform you about another great event that's happening this weekend. Beginning Friday, we will have a campaign here at Mount Juliet. It's hosted in our Hispanic ministry. There will be other Christians coming from, from the Carolinas, from Missouri, from Memphis, from Jackson... And they're coming in, over 20 individuals will be coming. Several of you are going to be housing those individuals. And there will be a gospel meeting here in Spanish Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday morning. And so you will notice there are flyers that are gold and blue and white. They're scattered throughout the foyer. And of course, the reason they are, it's a message written in Spanish to invite individuals to uh, this gospel meeting. And so if you have friends, co-workers, neighbors that would benefit from this invitation, please take these with you and let them know that that begins this coming Friday. Also, be praying every day for this. And then also, if you have individuals that you want the campaigners, they're going to be door knocking and going around on Friday and Saturday. And if you have someone that you want them to make contact with, be sure and give Elias or Christy 
uh, the names and addresses or some way to find those individuals. Also, back to Family Day, keep in mind that the postcards are still scattered throughout the foyer, and if that will help you in lending an invitation, please be sure and take those this week. Brandon Wright was just having what seemed to be a normal day. He was a college student at Utah State University. He's a 21-year-old graphics major. He decided he'd run over to the campus. He jumped on his motorcycle Monday, and since it was only a few miles, he decided not to wear his helmet. Probably not a good decision. And as he was driving along, a BMW coming out of a parking lot did not see him. He said, I remember trying to swerve to miss it, but then realizing it was impossible, he laid the bike down and he began to slide. He slid completely under the vehicle and then the motorcycle and the vehicle collided and they burst into flames. It was there that Brandon should have died. You see this week, that video has been on pretty much every newscast and it's gone viral and people have seen it by the millions. But yet it reminds us, he should have died But there was a huge factor, there was a huge reason why he didn't die. In just a moment, we're going to view this video. And I want you to think about if you've made a difference in anybody's life lately. Side crash erupted in flames after a motorcycle and car collided in Logan, Utah. A fireball by the time the first bystander could check for victims. Soon he was joined by others, including a woman who laid down on the ground and spotted the motorcyclist, a 21-year-old man pinned beneath the burning BMW. We saw the body. We, 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 have to, we had to help him. Unable to reach the victim, a construction worker tried to move the car and within seconds was joined by a group of five. Together, a collective lift, but the car wouldn't budge. The victim was stuck, the BMW still burning. With time slipping away and a sense of panic setting in, the woman checked again on the victim. Then suddenly, a unified push. A group of roughly a dozen, both men and women, rushed in. Together, they raised the roughly 4,000-pound car. This man in green pulled out the victim. Brandon Wright was alive. A miracle he survived. My rescuers, they did a great job of getting him um, the help that he needed. Police say the group of bystanders, a mix of construction workers and students from a nearby college, are all heroes. Strangers who risk their lives to save another. I'm impressed that they would risk their safety to to lift the car up and and get the individual out from underneath it. Monday, the victim was in critical condition, alive because a group of strangers refused to let him die. A group of strangers refused to let him die. Around us in our community, in our families, among our friends and co-workers are individuals that are dying. What if they came back to us later and they uttered words like Brandon said this week after or during his press release, he said about these heroes, I'm forever in debt. I can't thank them enough. 
through his broken leg and his crushed pelvis and his bruised lungs and his burned skin, doctors say that he's well on his way to a great recovery. He's going to live. And everybody in America knows that it was because of about a dozen strangers, construction workers, professionals, college students, individuals that decided a man needed to be snatched from out of a fire. We've been studying all month about relationships. What's your relationship? What's your responsibility to the dying? Do you believe in eternal reward and condemnation as the Bible teaches? Do you believe that all sin and fall short of the glory of God? Do you believe that the wages of sin is death? Do you believe that it's the responsibility of the church? The church means individuals that are saved. Do you believe that it's the responsibility of the church to reach out and to snatch people out of the fire? I'd like for you to look again as the New Testament comes to an end to the text that we have in this little one-chapter book, the book of Jude. This little short chapter is really warning that there's a lot of heretics that are coming in and they're speaking false doctrine. And because of that, individuals are going to believe that they're saved, but the reality is they're not going to be saved. And so Jude writes this short book to say, we need to teach the truth. We need to reveal the fact of false teaching. And then, as he talks about rescuing those that may be the heretics or may be the ones that have been damaged by the heretics, it's interesting in 22 that he shows us that all are not rescued with the same attitude, if you will. Notice what he says in 22. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, that phrase, having or making a distinction, is very difficult to translate from Greek into English. There are some translations that you may be reading out of right now that makes it sound as if there are three distinctive groups. And if so, that's fine. You see, the point is, no matter which translation you're reading out of, it doesn't change the meaning. The meaning is that there are individuals that are dying in the fire. In other words, it's looking to the eternal aspect. And he's saying, while they're alive, while they're still on earth, somebody could snatch them out of that fire. But yet, you're not going to approach everybody the same. Some you're going to approach with compassion. And others, you're going to snatch quickly out. So what would the difference be? Let's think about these with compassion. You know, this word here in this text in Jude 22, this word for compassion is used several times in the New Testament, but most every other time it's used, it's translated mercy. It is the idea of a compassionate mercy. You see, there are some individuals that they don't need someone to come in and do snatching on them. They need someone to come up and be much more compassionate with them. 
before Paul would close his letter to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, toward the end of the letter, he would say in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14, Now we exhort you, brethren. Now notice these three groups of people. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Now here we see what we're going to look at in the next point in a minute about snatching them out of the pot fire. What does he say to the unruly? What does he say about the people that are in open rebellion? He says they're going to need a warning. You know, you picture this and it's almost face to face. You can picture someone saying, I want to warn you. You better back away. You better change your ways. You can imagine that warning. It's, it's probably face to face. But what about the people that, it's not that they're in open rebellion. It's that sin has damaged them. And now their fight is not against God per se. And it's not that they're trying to make a stand with Satan. But the reality is they're just trying to survive. What about those individuals that are faint hearted? Another translation would say feeble-minded because the heart is the mind and faint is weak. What about the faint-hearted? What about the feeble-minded? Literally, when you do a word study on this, you know what one of the descriptions is? What about those who are of little spirit? You know, I, I grew up riding horses and, you know, as a young man and young boy, you know what... I wanted, right? It's what every young boy wants that rides horses. I always wanted a high-spirited horse. I remember one time calling a fellow up to see if I could buy his horse, and I said, tell me something about your horse. And he said, it's so fast, you can't even just drop the reins and let it take off. I didn't understand that. I said, why? Why can't you do that? He says, you wouldn't be able to stay on it. I said, that's the horse I want then. High-spirited. I remember one time getting on a horse that was a registered half-thoroughbred. That's the racehorses, like in the Kentucky Derby. Half thoroughbred, half Arabian. It's the most spirited horse I ever was on. I would have to stand with my feet, with the weight in the stirrups, and as I was standing, I would lean back on the reins, and that big arched neck would just hold. And, and any, any centimeter I would give the reins, that horse would lunge to that amount. Oh, if that's what you like is high-spirited, that was one of the best rides I've ever had. You know, sometimes, spiritually, everything's just going great, isn't it? We're high-spirited. We're feeling good. We're saved. We love the Lord. We're looking forward to heaven. We're looking forward to tomorrow. And then other times, we're not high-spirited. Other times we feel worn out. Other times we feel beat down. Sometimes we're really separated from God. And we don't need somebody coming up to us and putting a finger in our face. Instead, we need somebody to come beside us and comfort us and stand with us. That's literally what the word comfort means, is to come beside of. And then sometimes we even get so weak that notice that third thing, we need somebody to uphold us. We need somebody that, that will help us off the ground, help us find our spiritual legs again, help us find our way, 
Help us to believe that all the promises of God are true, no matter what the world and Satan has thrown at us. You see, that's the same kind of language that we see in Luke, the 15th chapter, when we have the hundred sheep, but one has gone astray. And you remember when the one leaves the 99 and goes after the one, notice what he has to do to bring him back. He, verse 5, he finds him, and notice, he lays him on his shoulders. Why? He's faint-hearted. He's weak. He's not going to make it back unless someone comes along beside with great mercy and great compassion and great comfort and offers a way home. I think about Acts, the 18th chapter, when this wonderful couple named Aquila and Priscilla heard this man, Apollos, who was mighty in Scripture, and, and he, was, he was eloquent with his words. And whenever he preached, he preached a powerful lesson, except he stopped short. He didn't know about the baptism into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The last that he had heard was about John's baptism. And notice what Aquila and Priscilla did as we're reading here in 26 at the very end. Notice it says, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, this is Acts 18, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. You see, they created an environment that was merciful. They didn't challenge him in front of a whole audience and embarrass him and create barriers of defense. They created an environment that was merciful. Let's pull him aside. Just the three of us, let's talk. What are we going to do? I'm warning you. No. Can we explain some things to you? There is so much that you're teaching that is accurate. Can we teach you one more thing that would make you more accurate? You see that compassion? Who is it in your life that just needs someone to come along beside them and to invite them closer to God? Are you doing it? I'm not suggesting to you that this coming Sunday is the answer to all ways to reach out, but do you realize that Family Day is a wonderful opportunity to reach out with compassion? Why don't you this week stop by somebody's house that's on your mind and in your prayers? And why don't you let that be the way that you reach out to them and, and just kind of walk along with them? Why don't you tell them you'd like to ride with them Sunday and you'll stop and pick them up? Why don't, why don't you tell them or you'll meet them in the parking lot and you'd love to walk in with them and, and go to Bible class with them and, and eat together? And you can even tell them you're preparing dessert and you'd like to know what their favorite dessert is. What is it that you could do that's very intentional? What is it that you could do that shows someone that you want to walk with them toward God? Listen, we can look in the scriptures of all the people that come to God and what you rarely will ever see in the scripture is anyone that comes alone. They will always have someone that's already with God walking them to Him. But when we go back to our text in Jude, look again at verse 22. Look, he says in, 20, um, in, in 22, some having compassion, making a distinction, but look at 23. But others save with fear. Why? What is the fear? The fear is, if we leave them there, they're going to die underneath that vehicle. It's on fire. 
Somebody has to snatch them, pull them out of that fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. It's interesting to think about the garments defiled with flesh. You know, oftentimes, I heard someone say it just in the last week or two. He says, you know what the Bible says, that we, we hate the sin but love the sinner. Well, you know that's not a direct quote out of the Bible, right? But it's passages like this that are teaching that. Why would we pull someone out of fire? Why would we care? Why would we take action? Why would we risk? Why would we do this? Well, what are you risking? When it comes to time that comfort and compassion will no longer work, there comes a time for snatching. And you're risking maybe a friendship. Once you try, if they pull back, you may not ever enjoy the same level of an earthly friendship again. Or on the other hand, you may save their soul and they may say, I'm eternally indebted to you. But there's risk. Why would you take that risk? He says, because you hate the garments that are defiled by flesh. Now you see here, don't you, what the earthly picture is? I know it's gross and I'm not going to elaborate on it. But what earthly garments are defiled by flesh? Is there anything more disgusting than soiled underwear, underwear, undergarments? That's the picture that he's giving us here. Except he's putting it in a spiritual context to say, look how horrible this is. It's, it's something that if we see it physically, we, we draw away from it. We don't want to touch it. We don't want to be around it. That's nasty. How much does what Satan does in the lives of people you love re- become repulsive to you? We have a problem in America because a lot of our entertainment on TV and movies is sold garments and we support it. We pay to see it. We pay to bring it in our homes every month. Bring more. Bring more. And then we see a, brother, we see a, a man or a woman that we know and we ought to love And we have a hard time hating their sin because we've enjoyed it so much through the week watching it on TV. Friends, this morning we need to decide whose side we're on. And we need to decide if we really are on the side of the Lord, what are we going to do to snatch people out and to let them be freed from the soiled fleshly garments that they're wearing? Those garments reveal the spiritual condition that points toward an eternal judgment of damnation. Do I believe it? Why would I rescue someone that I didn't believe was lost? Do I believe that they're lost? And if so, that changes everything. This word to pull, some translations would say to snatch. And if you wonder, is snatch too strong of a word? 
This word is used many times in the New Testament. On this screen here, we just have a few of the times that it's used, and I just want you to see how this word is translated. The exact, exact word is just translated differently in English. Matthew 11 and 12, take it by force. John 10 and 12, catches. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 17, caught up, talking about in the second coming, we're going to be called up. You see, these are strong words. In other words, these are forceful words. These are words where, where an individual has made a decision that they're going to move something or they're going to move somebody. And the question is, have you made a decision that you're going to move somebody out of the state of condemnation that they're presently in into something much better? It's one thing for us to be casual to say, oh, I wish that they would become a Christian. What have you done to say, I'm going to move them toward that? I'm going to take some very intentional efforts, decisions, actions to make this a reality. Let's look at a few examples where individuals were snatched in the New Testament. Acts the 8th chapter, you remember when Simon was baptized and immediately after his baptism, he sees the power of the Holy Spirit and intrigues him and he wants to buy it. Does Peter come around and put his arm beside him and say, can I comfort you in this? Can, can, can I just kind of explain some things to you? No, for whatever reason, Peter knew that he needed something different. And look what his response was. Now imagine this, in your face kind of talking. Repent therefore of this, your wickedness. And pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And you know what his response was? Will you pray for me? Will you pray that I can be saved? Peter realized that this man needed to be told in a very black and white, to his face sort of way, you were saved just a moment ago and you're already allowing greed and covetousness to drown your salvation. When we look in Galatians, the second chapter, it's interesting that we have Peter, the great apostle Peter, that was the one we just talked about, now we see Paul getting in his face. You remember when they were sitting down there in Galatia and they were eating with Gentiles? And then when they saw Jews coming from James and Jerusalem, they separated themselves. And that was going to, bear, to bring back up the barrier between the Jew and the Gentile. Is Paul going to go and put his arm around Peter and say, Peter, can we talk about this? Do you really think that was the best thing for us to do? Can I explain something? Can I pull you off to the side and just the two of us talk? No, instead, notice what it says in 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were the circumcision. And we see that the result was they were called hypocrites. And the result was that Peter was willing to be humbled. But he needed that face to face, Barnabas and the other Jews that followed him probably needed to hear that correction that Peter was receiving because they knew that indirectly that was a correction to them also. The Jews that come from Jerusalem, they probably needed to hear that correction also. And the Gentiles that were there that would have been offended by their actions, they needed to hear that also. You see, there's times when the snatching needs to be done so that everyone around can see and learn from it. But then, and finally on this point, I'd like to see 2 Timothy, the second chapter. 
we have here in verse 24 this beautiful teaching about the way we're to approach individuals. And what I want you to see from this passage is how serious it is what we're trying to save them from. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. You see, even the cases of those that that went before and they warned them face to face. It wasn't that they were attacking the person. It wasn't that they did so in an ungodly manner. And so in that sense, they still were gentle, but yet they were strong, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. What are we trying to save them from? That they may come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And that's what we want. Pull them from the fire. Pull them from the snare. That's the trap. Pull them from the trap that Satan is holding them in. Listen, there comes a time where we have to go to an individual and have a face-to-face talk. And it has to be black and white. I'm concerned for your soul. If you died right now, do you know where you'd spend eternity? I'm concerned for your life on this earth. Do you realize what you're missing? Do you realize all the spiritual blessings that you're passing on right now? I'm concerned about your example. Do you realize all the people right now that your sinful example is affecting? Friends, I don't know anybody that says, I love doing that. That's my favorite pastime. But how much do we care whether or not they are pulled from the flames and later in the week can say, thank you. You saved my life. When we go back in the earlier verses in Jude 20 and 21, we see that we're going to have to be careful. We need to build ourselves up, and it's through the holy faith. That would be the reading of God's Word according to Romans 10, 17, and then the praying in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, keep yourself in love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What's the point here? We're not ready to go and rescue people until we're strong ourselves. And he says, in other words, these are the verses leading into the verses we just studied. So he says... How about your faith? Are you committed to it? How about your prayer life? Are you close to the Lord? How about your love of God? Are you receiving it? Are are you ready to share it? Whenever your, your study, your prayer, your motives are all in love, then you're built up. Now you're ready. You've received mercy. Now you're ready to give mercy. Some people now go out and comfort them. Other people go out and snatch them in. But hate the sin and love the sinner. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, we're told that if we're spiritual, restore, put back into joint, put back into place, restore such the one. But notice he taught us to do that in the spirit of meekness, lest we ourselves also be tempted. Not an arrogance, but a humility. Did you know, and some of you will know it well, because you are lifeguards. But did you know that for lifeguards, one of the great risks is that the person that they're trying to rescue will end up drowning them? Colton is a lifeguard, and so last night I called him. And I said, hey, Colton, what do they train you? 
to keep the person from drowning you. And he says, you have to approach the person from the back. And he said, he said, then when you grab them, you can't let them grab you. And you reach them from behind and it's like a wrestling move, a full Nelson. And he said, and when you do that, there's no way they can put a hand on you. And he says, if you don't do that, they will wrap their arms and they'll wrap their legs around you. And then you'll both drown. And I said, what do they teach you to do if they do wrap their arms and their legs around you? And he said, you haul off and knock them out. And I said, do what? He said, oh, I wouldn't say that in the sermon. <laughs> but he said, he said, dad, they teach you. You have to do whatever you have to do to get the person to let go of you so that you can rescue them. Friends, when we go to rescue someone, we better not go with arrogance or pride because we'll find ourselves stumbling and falling and being the one that needs to be rescued. We go out of love. It's not trying to win an argument and point out somebody's flaws. We go out of love. Humble love. Let's win them. It's a true story. I found it in the New York Times. A few years ago in New Orleans. It was the end of the summer and the city pools had not had one drowning all year long and it was the first time ever. And so in August, they decided to have a celebration among all the people that are the lifeguards and work at the pools to celebrate a drowned-free summer. There were over 100 lifeguards present, four on duty, and 100 other people that were a part of this work. And at the close of the evening, whenever the lifeguards were clearing out the pools, they looked. And at the bottom of the deep end was a fully dressed man, Jeremy Moody, 31 years old, drowned. A hundred lifeguards present, and he drowned. A sick type of irony. It makes me want to cry, it scares me to death. To think as weird as that irony is, how we would have people sitting right here who's not saved. Hundreds of people that are supposed to be pulling you out and snatching you up and, and figuring out the right thing to say and the right way to do it. And it leaves us saying, what are we doing wrong? Why? Why aren't you saved? What do we need to say? Do we need to be a little tougher? Do we need to get in your face? Do we need to be a little more compassionate? Do we need to just hold you up a little more? Maybe we're not that smart. Maybe this morning all we can say to you is we need your help. We need you to shoot straight with us. We need you to tell us what you need. Because we care. We don't want to be the hundred lifeguards 
that watches the individual die around us. This morning, what can we do? Are you ready to be baptized into Christ and name Him as your Savior and live for Him because you're a believer willing to repent? Or have you strayed and you're ready to come back? What can we do this week to reach out to others? I hope that every, every individual here will have prayers on their lips this week for righteousness' sake, for eternity's sake. And if we can help you this morning, come as we stand, as we sing. Teachers are dismissed at this time to go to their classes. I have a few announcements that I'd like to uh, keep everyone abreast of. Uh, we do have good news in the fact that uh, <clears throat> Tuesday afternoon, Barbara Scott was baptized into Christ, and she had been studying with Faye Lloyd and Sharon Tigrid. And also, uh, keep in mind of uh, those who had come forward recently seeking prayer, uh, David Lee and Liz Jenkins. And updates here as far as for events that are occurring today. Uh, outreach team number seven will meet today after second service in the lower fellowship hall. And then team eight will meet tonight uh, down front after services to pass out cards. And uh, an event tonight after services will be the appreciation banquet for Meals on Wheels. And that will be occurring in the, in the fellowship hall uh, following this evening's services. Also, this after services tonight will be house to house and uh, getting those uh, sorted for mailing. 
of announcing Family Day. And then also, David alluded to a work day coming up on Saturday. That will be here at the building starting at 9 o'clock. So that is one other announcement to keep in mind. So that does begin at 9 o'clock. Uh, disaster relief will be loading boxes Monday at 10 o'clock. And there will be transportation be leaving the building here at 845. Those are all the announcements I have this morning. Of a, of a hymn, number 712, will be uh, led in prayer following that and be dismissed after that. Again, we appreciate everyone being here this morning, especially visitors. We're glad that you're with us, and please stick around. Let us have a chance to meet with you. If you haven't already passed your cards, uh, attendance cards, to the aisles, please do so, and they'll be picked up as we sing this last song. Would you stand, please? to you, the things that we have that's been spoken, the songs that we have sang, our prayers to you, we pray that it has been pleasing to you. Father, you require faith. You require faith to be pleased. We pray that our faith is active, it's strong, and it's seen in this world. Most of this world is lost, and we know that, and we pray that that the world will know us as Christians, that our faith is bold and courageous, we will knock on a stranger's door to ask that person if they know about Jesus' church, that we'll speak to a friend or a neighbor about salvation, the only way to get to heaven. Jesus has commanded us to do so, and we pray that we will commit ourselves to that commandment better to please God than to please man. And we pray that that's what we'll do every day of our lives. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. <laughs> 